Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 215 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So thrilled that you are here. Extra super duper thrilled because today we are talking to Jeff Elkins. And uh, Jeff is an old friend. He comes to me from the writer's well when Jay Thorne and I were doing that show. And um, he's just been around and part of my writing community for a long time. And he listened with horror as I was answering questions the other day on the mini podcast. And I was talking about um, how to make different voices of characters sound unique, which is something that I always add later in revision. Uh, he has a system of doing that. And I am so excited to share this with you. It kind of blew my mind. Uh, it is truly unique, truly his. I know that you are going to get so much out of listening to it. Uh, I basically couldn't wait to get off the phone with him in order to start implementing it into my work. And yeah, so look forward to that. That's going to be Jeff coming up here in a minute. If you um ever watch me on the YouTube video that goes up, um, only a few of you do that. Most of you listen to this in podcast form, but hopefully you will notice, even if you're just on the podcast, that this sounds a little bit better. I have upgraded my recording studio here, and I actually have a mic that is much better. I was using a Samson Meteor mic, and I have moved up in the world. Uh, I'm actually using a pop filter and a shock mount and all of those things, which I have always known I should be using. And hopefully this will increase your listening audio pleasure. Let's see what's been going on around here writing wise. I had a migraine. So I had a couple of days off there. I am recovering, have recovered. But I want to say that I did use some of my downtime while I had the migraine to think so when I'm on migraine, when I have a migraine, I'm on a bunch of drugs. And it does kind of free my mind to think about things and make connections that I possibly wouldn't have before. Migraines are unique in that they are not just in the brain, they're the whole body. The whole body is reacting to the migraine. Um, many people's stomachs are involved, but for me, also involved, non-drug dependent, um, is the way I think. I am able to kind of get back to this 30,000 foot view into a book and think about it. So actually used some of the time, not a lot of the time, uh, because then my brain would drift away in pain. Uh, but when I was able to, I was really thinking about the structure of this book that I am first drafting. I want to make that really clear. I am first drafting, so it is nothing but a hot mess. However, it's going to be a book. That's really something I am reveling in knowing right now that no matter how messy it is, it's going to be a book someday because I know how to revise. No matter how messy your book is, no matter how messy your writing is, even if you don't know how to revise yet, you can learn. It is a learnable process and it's just super exciting. And I'm still, now that I'm back at the page feeling better, I'm still just throwing crappy words out and uh, one of my students said just this morning in Rachel Says Right, she said there is a level of freedom that comes with that knowledge. That means you can just screw around on the page, have a good time, leave sentences incompletely, paragraphs hanging, jump from chapter to chapter, add characters, kill the characters off in the next scene because they weren't a good idea in the first place, knowing that you can remove them entirely or add them even further when you get to revision. Um, that knowledge of that freedom uh, is so fun and wonderful. So I hope that if you are playing with first drafting, you are remembering that you can fix anything, 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 anything. Uh, so I am doing that. Another thing that I'm doing, I will be almost back by the time this uh, airs. So uh, I feel comfortable saying this. I am tomorrow going away by myself. A friend of mine owns a beach house uh, in one of those fancy, fancy beach areas. And she doesn't look right at the water, but it's a one minute walk to the water, basically, around this little corner. And I'm going there for four days, alone, 100% alone, 
my wife is going to be here taking care of the sick dog and the other dog and the two cats, and I am going away. And yes, I have guilt about this. However, she knows she's also allowed to go away whenever she wants and can do so. And I pointed out to her when these plans were made, I said, do you realize that when I'm gone, you are going to be alone too. And she just brightened because neither of us have been alone since March. You might understand this. Um, it seems like there's this, it's not easy for anybody. The people who are alone are very, very, very alone. And I cannot imagine what that is like. And then the people who are together are very, very, very freaking together. And I need to be not together for a while. Uh, my wife and I have both always very much enjoyed and valued our alone time in really big ways. Like we are very comfortable saying, I need you to leave the house because I have not had alone time in, you know, four days. I need you to go somewhere, go to the movies, go to the store, go to the cafe. And we can't do that anymore. We haven't been able to do that since March. So I'm going to be alone. And I think I'm going to work. I am planning on getting a lot of words. Oftentimes when I go away for some kind of vacation like this or any other kind of time when I leave town, which I haven't done since February, I don't write. I fail to write. I what I what I really succeed in doing is lying around and reading and thinking and jotting notes and journaling and drinking tea and walking along the cliff and going down to the beach. Uh but this time I'm bringing my alpha smart and I'm just going to play at having fun and I'm also going to give myself grace if nothing gets done because that is more my typical MO. But I am just going to feel my way into it. Speaking of feeling my way into things, I will let you know that one of the motivations for getting this new recording equipment is that I have a new podcast. Ha <laughs> ha! Just call me Jay Thorne. Um, no, my new podcast is called You're Already Ready. And it is really tiny, short bites of uh, pieces that I'm putting up. Basically, I am reinstituting my blog. I am writing some things that I am thinking, and I'm going to put them out in this little five to seven minute podcast three to five times a week. That is my goal. So go give that a try. I know it's findable on iTunes or whatever it's called now. I iTunes podcasts, wherever Apple podcasts, maybe on Google play podcasts. It's kind of hard to find. It is available and it's there, um, but it's hard to get to Stitcher. I know it's available. I think it's already available at Spotify. So you can check that out. You can either search for my name or search for you're already ready. And let me know what you think. There's about five episodes up right now. And it is not written, written. It's not made for writers. It's made for creative people. However, you know me, everything that I talk about in the back of my mind, I'm talking about writing. I'm talking to you. I just did an episode on my beloved glitter boots and, you know, it's things like that. It's, uh, I'm talking about the move to New Zealand. It is more scripted because these are writings are basically mini essays that I'm putting on the blog and then reading for the podcast. So it is my professional voice rather than this show, which is always unscripted and always a little bit chaotic because of it. So give it a try. Tell me what you think. And um, yeah, I just wanted to let you know about that. I'll bring it up again in the future when I know that everybody can reach it and find it. But do give that a try if you're interested. Now, let us please jump into talking to Jeff about dialogue and voices. Please let him blow your mind the way that he did mine. And um, you should go sign up for his stuff and get his information and get his little tips and tools. And I know I already have, and I'm already putting them to use, like I said. So wherever you are, happy writing. I hope you get a little bit of crappy work done knowing that you can change it later. Or if you're revising, I hope that you are just reveling in that feeling of making pages and chapters and books better. Please find me where I am on the internet and tell me how you're doing. You know, I love to hear and we will talk soon, my friends. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. 
You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show, Jeff Elkins. Hello, Jeff. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. We're laughing because if you're watching on the YouTube, uh, Jeff's got a, a little mini person behind him waving. And I and I hear there's like 73 others running around. Yeah, so. there's some. Well, and some of them aren't so many. The 17-year-old is over six feet tall. So he's... Um, He's, he's not so, so many anymore. So his, uh, his head yeah. will be actually be out of the shot. Yes. That's right. Yeah. You'll, if he comes behind me, you'll just see his torso. Yeah. He's, um, but yeah, I have five kids, oh uh, gosh. seven, the oldest is 17, the youngest is six. And That's, so they're, um, your hands are very, very full. Okay. Speaking of those full hands, let me give you a little bio okay. uh, to lead into that. Jeff Elkins is the author of 12 novels and leads the writing team for an innovative technology company that simulates difficult conversations for professionals to practice. Woo-hoo. In the fall of 2020, Jeff began a new business, DialogueDoctor.com, that helps writers defeat monomouth by coaching them to build engaging characters and write realistic dialogue that will pull readers into their own work and keep them reading over multiple books. Jeff lives outside of Baltimore in the United States with his wife and 73 children, like I said. Uh, so, welcome. You and I, you and I have been friends for a long time. We've been, you were one of our um, favorite listeners on the oh. writers. Well, yeah, I've been, um, I mean, you, so to be honest, we say friends, the truth is I've been following your work for a really long time and you've oh. had a dramatic impact on my writing, especially my motivation to write. Uh, so yeah, I listened on the writers well and um, was really, really started listening to the writing as well in like a down time where I was like really struggling to like figure out what I was doing and like finding my voice. And I kind of cycle through those. I think everybody does, everybody but just like down. so down. And so discovering the writers well, and you and Jay had a huge, um, and actually when you were pedal to the metal, had a huge impact on, on me, just hearing somebody be honest about what this is, what this yeah. life is. Um, so that was great. And then started following your podcast and started following the writers well. Um, and now I'm a Patreon member of yours. And anybody who's listening to this who isn't a Patreon member is uh, super missing out because the articles you write are fantastic. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, people should definitely get on your Patreon immediately. You know, I love, love, love writing those. And I did not pay him to say that. But the thing about oh. you, Jeff, is that in the same way that I'm honest on the show and the same way that Jay and I were always honest on the writers. Well, um, you've always been honest with us in your comments. And I do feel like we're friends. I feel like I know your life over the course of years. Um, you, you don't, you don't paint it all with a happy picture. You actually would tell us what was the problem and what was going on and what you were yeah. struggling with. And that meant a great deal to us. It really did. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I learned a long time ago that I'm terrible at hiding anything. I'm really bad at it. Like I'm <laughs> no just, poker face. I, I have zero poker face. I'm an open book all the time. And so I finally got to a place where it's like, I just need to embrace this and just like go extreme vulnerability at all times. It's like, you know, why hide or like, you know, try to, sneak away from what's going on if 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 masks look ridiculous on me why put one on in the first place yeah, right like so exactly yeah. exactly although i trust you're wearing your mask <laughs> when you're out when you're out oh, when i'm out about oh absolutely yeah yeah well and, you know there's no really cleaning up the physical appearance over here so masks actually help i was telling wendy yesterday my wife is wendy i was telling her yesterday i was like i'm probably just gonna wear a mask forever because like I love it, I love it. I can have resting <laughs> resting bitch face. Like oh. I don't have to half smile at All anybody. It's, yeah, it's the best. Um, but the but the other thing about that whole vulnerability thing is that people sense inauthentic. Uh, what, what what's the word for this? Um, non authenticity, inauthenticity. Yeah. A mile away, and they run away, and they sense vulnerability and truth, and lean in to listen. Yeah, I think, you know, growing up in um, minority communities um, and just having a passion to be around um, 
to be an ally to minorities, which is part of a, a yeah. big passion of mine, um, yeah. is that like, I, I want people to feel safe yeah. around me at all times, right? Like, yeah. I never want anybody to feel like, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he feels about something. So I'm just kind of all out there at all times. And also try to lead with, um, you know, a humble apology. <laughs> so, I love starting out you know. with a humble apology, but like when we were emailing, I noticed that you had black lives matter in your email signature. And I yeah. just, I freaking love that. And that yeah, would have, that would have made me want you on the show. I and mean, I'm the one who asked you to come on the show. So um, this is fantastic. Let's talk about though your writing process because you okay. work, I'm assuming um, with the innovative technology company, you're working full-time, right? I do work full-time. Yeah, I have a, and it's a really complicated job. I, yeah, I've written 12 books in the last six years. Plus you um, have this new business. How, where plus I have a new business. do you get the writing done? And how? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, so how and where, where <laughs> I get the writing done is right here. Um, so I, uh, I work off of a laptop and, um, you know, my work day, it starts at seven 30, uh, and, uh, ends at about four, four 30. That's uh-huh. my like professional job. The job is all consuming. It's not uh-huh. something that I can like half-ass, you yeah, know, you I have, have a team of five them. writers that mm. like I, I work with and train and lead and, um, and the simulations we build are non-linear, which means that we have to write conversations so that the person our simulations talking to can say anything they want at any time, <laughs> which is, um, it sounds like the worst game of choose your own adventure ever. We talk about it as like when we're hiring people and they're asking like, what is writing this like? It's like creating a three-dimensional crossword puzzle. That sounds awful. Where, yeah, where you just like, <laughs> if you took crossword puzzles and like stacked them up yeah. and then you had to be able to go like anyway, that's kind of what I do during the day. Um, what's fantastic about that is that as writers, we're professional mimics. So um, we sit with professionals uh, in a whole ton of fields from like working with the military to working with social workers to working with therapists who are like trying to learn cognitive behavioral therapy to like you know working with um today i was working with uh suicide prevention Mm. crisis counselors right like Mm -hmm. we're just we're always working with different people and we come with empty hands and we sit down in front of them and we're like you know our job is to duplicate the conversations you have in real life so that's why we say we're professional mimics because we're sitting yeah. down and we're, we're duplicating what other people do. Um, so that's my day job. It's all consuming. It's, it's, it's uh, big. It's, um, you know, a lot. Uh, and I don't really, you know, with five kids, I'm, I, I get up early. I get up at five, but I read um, in the mornings. I do, I have a couple like meditative readings I do. Uh, and then I do my own meditation um, for like five minutes, 10 minutes, if I'm lucky. Uh, and then, you know, the six-year-old's up by six. So there's no like, so this is not your writing time. No, there's writing? no like 5am writing time, like 5am. I, I love, I, so I've had periods where I'm like, I'm part of the Twitter 5am writers club and I'll do it for like a week. And then at like 520, the six-year-old heard me downstairs and he's like in my lap and I'm like, I'm still writing, you know, so like, it's just not, I finally got to a place where it's like, it's just not worth the emotional energy it takes yeah. to make that happen. So um, I'm a night writer. Um, so I, you know, how I write, uh, I wait for everybody to go to bed, um, which is uh, bedtime usually starts around here about uh, 8.30. Like we have a cascading bedtime because I have cascading kids. So oh, like, I would start it at like four. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tempted. Time for you, there are days where I'm go. looking at Wendy. I'm like, "Hey, is it is it bedtime yet? Like, can we start now?" Yeah, and we do start the process because, like, bedtime is a process. So, especially for little kids, so we start the process at like six, and there's like you know baths, and then reading books to them. Like, we read to the younger kids every night. The older kids have like you know qualified reading time. Like, they have to read for thirty minutes before they go to sleep. Um, so we have like, I love that. yeah, there's a routine every, I mean, it, with a big family in a tiny house there, you have to have routines. So yeah. So it, around eight 30, the house is quiet. The teenagers and Wendy and I are the only people left awake. And so that's when I get to write. Um, so I usually write, I try to spend, uh, my rule is two hours on the business. 
So you can get the business so much done in two hours. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and some nights I'm like, okay, tonight I'm not writing a new chapter. Tonight I'm just working on, um, you know, my back matter or tonight focused time. Yeah. But I'm, okay. I'm doing that for two hours. Yeah. Um, for me, I have to block out distractions. So I create a Spotify playlist every month. That's like, this is my writing playlist. So I just Ooh. turn that on. And um, I focus for, I try to get two hours in. Sometimes I can get like two and a half. Uh, and then I'm trying to shut it down by 1130. So I can be in bed by midnight. Yeah. Because so you need be some back sleep up again. sometimes. Yeah. 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 So that's my process. And it's just about like, you know, there, it's about understanding that I'm sacrificing things that I might enjoy in order to have the life I want to have. Yeah. So like, I'm not, I don't watch a ton of, like, I don't sit down at night and watch TV. Um, I don't sit down at night and like cuddle up in front of a book. I read before I go to sleep, uh, mostly because I demand that my children do it. So I have to do it too. Um, so. It's the best way to go to sleep. Yeah. But so for me, it's just about like building a routine and like working that routine every night um, yeah. and giving myself a lot of grace, right? Like I, I remember I got really dark a couple years ago when I got on this obsession of like, I have to write a book a month. Oh, that'll kill you. Yeah. And I tried really hard. Yeah. I, I, I was building a series and I was like, okay, I can't write a book a month, but maybe I can like stock up a series and then publish a book a month. And I got the first two published. I was like, I'm going to publish the first two while I write the third one. And uh, I got to that one. I was like, I've used all of my writing time publishing the first two books. I like marketing the first two books. Like I don't have any writing time left to finish the third one. And it, so I just kind of had to surrender. Like this isn't the kind of writer. I don't have the bandwidth to be that kind of writer. I would love I, to be that kind of writer, but I can't do it. I love it. What, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but what Joanna Penn says is like when she realized she couldn't be a book a month, she, it gave her the permission to like, just say, okay, I'm not that. I'm never going to be that. Don't have to be that. Like yeah. you, every, like clockwork, it just happened to me a couple weeks ago. I get that bug again. Like, could I do a book a month? Could I do a book even every two months? And, yeah. you know, get on that train. And then I realized I don't want to. But, yeah, yeah. I've also gotten to the place where I'm like, um, that writing fast experiment taught me that I need space between books. Uh, I need at least two months. You have, books. you have to know your process. Yeah. And you've so learned I, your process. I work on a book obsessively, like I'll get a bug in my head. And, um, you know, a lot of times writing books for me, uh, and I'm, I'm starting to understand this because I took uh, Becca Stein's uh, um, Strengths The Finder. Clifton Strengths, yeah, yes. Yeah, the Clifton Strengths yeah. thing uh, that you had talked about on a show. I broke down, went and took it. Um, but so as a strategic individualist restorative person, <laughs> solving problems is a huge deal for me solving uh, problems but not only with that strategic piece you you do it intuitively and you don't even know how you do it yep. you, you arrive at the solution because your intuition is telling you your strategic is so high yeah that's, so that's if we, awesome if we get into that like how i write a book i create an, a problem for the book mm -hmm. i put up a spreadsheet of beats that I have to fill. So like the beats are kind of like part of the puzzle I have to build. Mm. And then I puzzle it out from there. So it's, um, and that really drives me because it, I can't stop until I finished that first draft. It seems it's like obsessive. that, it seems like you have all, but even before you did the Clifton Strength, you've already geared your writing life and even your professional life to really suit those strengths that you have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of self-understanding Yeah, of like coming to know yourself, understand. So the Clifton strengths is, was great for me because it's, you know, kind of feeding that it's giving me more language to talk about um, myself and not necessarily like, you know, so just to say, like, I think people get into these like personality tests and stuff and find them limiting, like, oh, I'm this, so I can't do these things. Right. So just as an encouragement, like that's not what it's about. It's about, giving yourself language to understand who you are so that you can then come around uh, strategies that are going to work for you. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So like I had, and I'll move from one to the other. Like I had my, I had a Myers-Briggs obsession for a while, just learning about like, okay, what is it about me that's unique um, so that I can play to that. And then I, you know, my wife and I both uh, are 
really big into the Enneagram. We started I haven't doing done that. that yet. It's fun. It's it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's good. I've it's wanted to do it especially for, for I, I wanted to do it for characters. I've heard of people playing with yeah. using Enneagram to 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 prompt that. Has your wife done the Clifton Strings yet? She hasn't. No. Okay, so she I'm just a, does the Enneagram. I'm a number three achiever, which explains a lot okay. about me. Like I have super, super low discipline. It's in the you know 30s or something. But my achiever is what gets everything done along with my strategic. But you know, my wife, we learned that she is number 34 achiever. Like the very last <laughs> is achiever. And that just explains the dishes, right? It explains yeah. 16 years of marriage dishes. Like, and and now I'm able to let it go. Like really I funny. understand. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Enneagram did that for me and Wendy. It was because we were and it was really about understanding our kids like we were looking for a way our te- our kids became teenagers and we were noticing like man you know the 17 year olds a lot like me and the uh 15 year olds a lot like wendy but in different ways and then we've we've got this 13 year old that's all his own self and so we were like we need some kind of language to help process yeah. what's helped them process what's going on so as a family we read uh one of the enneagram books i can't remember which one is which one it is off the top of my head and it was uh we like would read it we'd read like a chapter in the car and it was funny we'd be reading it and like one of the kids would start laughing they'd be like yeah that's me so it's oh. not because it talks about like the inner life and what's happening interior so it's a really nice partner i think to um, the Clifton Strengths Finder. My, my next yeah. obsession. Now, Enneagram doesn't tell you how to fix it. That's the Clifton thing. Clifton Strengths, about, I think, really does. Yeah. Clifton, Clifton Strengths is all about like, here's what you should be doing. Like, here's how you should be focusing and working to like um, better improve yourself as a leader and a, in a, in a uh, creative. And a, but especially with what yeah. Becca's doing, like the whole like, let's use your strengths as a writer use the strengths and let go of all the stuff that doesn't work for you i can let yeah. go of discipline i don't need that because i can use the other yeah. my other core strengths to do that yeah whereas the enneagram is really about um self-understanding mm. and um i find it is a great tool of like self-forgiveness mm. so i could always use more of that yeah and it's really great in like understanding the people around you um the key is like, so with all of these personality traps, there's a thing of like, I'm going to label people. Now that I have my like number system, I'm going to start walking around being like, she's a seven, she's a six. Um, and that's not really helpful. So like yeah. the key to the Enneagram is for like, like I do some uh, marriage couple counseling um, and used to do a lot more of it, but we'd have them take the Enneagram so that they could have language to explain to one another what's mm-hmm. going on inside of them. And so that way, like you can understand the people in your life a little bit better if you all have this lang- this shared language to discuss like what's happening. So like my son and I are both extremely anxious. We're just very anxious people, mm-hmm. um, which equates to a six on the Enneagram where mm-hmm. we fear everything. Um, because of trauma I had as a kid, I uh, tend to run at fear, um, whereas he tends to hide. Mm. So doing like talking about personalities as a family really helped us because it was one of those things where I can like, you know, he was applying for colleges and he was stalling. And so he'd sit down at his laptop and I could see him like trying to write his college essay and just being like, ah, <laughs> so, can't do it. Yeah. yeah. And so I'd ask him, I'd like, who's in charge right now? Are you in charge or is your anxiety in charge? Like who's, who's winning at the moment is fear winning or are you winning? And like, you know, he'd always go like, my anxiety's in charge. <laughs> All right. Well, so like, tell your anxiety, you got some stuff to do today, right? right. Like, get get to work. So it's that kind of like, just getting that like common language, I think is really great. I love that you did um, that with your family. And everybody loves to talk about and think about themselves and share that. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's like, you know, yeah. every, everyone loves human that. nature. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the center of the world. Of course, I love to. <laughs> I want to take tests to find out what my personality is. Yeah. Speaking of Jeff being the center of the world right now, what is your biggest challenge in writing and what's your biggest joy? Oh man. So my biggest challenge is um, crippling self-doubt that I use <laughs> as an excuse to yeah. uh, sabotage my own writing. I laugh, but it's not funny. Like it's just, no, it, yeah. I mean, it's funny, but it's also very, but it's painful. not funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's also seriously painful. So 
I have, um, I really do. I, I have monstrous self-doubt so that like, uh, I kind of approach things with the idea of like, I'm going to fail. Uh, and I have for a long time and like, you know, I've been in therapy. I understand why I do it and understanding why it is not, is not always helpful. Uh, and part of the reason it's a struggle is because I use it as a crutch. So like I, I wrote 10 books before I marketed anything at all. I never paid for an ad. I never like put them in a, like a book share or like a, a newsletter wow. share swamp or anything. Cause I'd write it and I'd be like, nobody's going to like this. And I just like throw it out of the world and be like, well, it's done. Nobody's going to like it. I don't have to even think about it anymore. I can move on to the next one. Um, so, and like people would, people still, I still do this. People are like, which book is your best book? Like, where can I start with your books? And I'll be like the next one, <laughs> everything, everything crap. The next one's my best one. The next one's my best one. So there is some optimism to that. That's like helpful because I keep striving forward to the next thing, yeah. but there's also like, it really has hurt my writing career because like, you know, I wrote six books before I ever even considered engaging the writing community. Wow. I just, I just assumed, yeah, I just assumed like, okay, I'm going to be outcast. So in an assumption of like, I'm not going to be accepted. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, then I'm not going to try. So like, I'm not going to, I would like listen to podcasts and I would read on my own, but the whole idea of like networking, meeting other authors, mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't about being shy because I'm not shy. For me, it was about like, they're not going to like me. So mm -hmm. I'm just not going to. And part of much that comes easier with that. If you oh, don't. So much easier. Yeah. yeah. So much easier not to try. And part of that comes with that strategic thinking of mine is that like, I'm solving a problem that doesn't exist before it even happens. Got so the I'm problem, like, oh, right? I've got the solution yeah. right here. Yeah. The don't problem engage. is nobody likes me. So <laughs> the solution is do this all by yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that's that's been the most destructive thing for my writing. Um, I still I started marketing my books in 2019, so for in you. the fall of 2019. Good so for I, you. yeah, I just started. For the person who's listening who feels exactly the same way that you do, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? Who that's tough. So. Um, it's hard because there's a balance you have to strike between accepting the truth of the moment um, and at the same time recognizing that that is everyone's truth. So like the truth of the moment is that like, yes, your books probably aren't Ernest Hemingway, right? Like, let's just accept that. And right. that like, yeah, you are likely never going to be John Grisham. Right. Right. Like, let's just yes. put that. Yeah. Yes. It, you can start, you can follow all the right steps, right? Like you can do everything Stephen King did and the chances of you making it to the NFL of writing and being the Peyton Manning quarterback of writing are less than 0.001%. Mm -hmm. So just go ahead and accept that. that like, and that yeah. coin has that other side. But then that coin has that other side. And that like, that's true of all of us, right? Like we're all out here. And when you go to like network and you're like, nobody's going to like me, just understand that everyone in that room feels that way. Yeah. Everyone in that room yeah. is like, I don't want to be here and nobody's going to like me. <laughs> so like, No one's going to like me. I also wrote the worst book. They're all better than I am. Yeah. You no, know, everyone is feeling that way. Yeah. And I would say part of what has helped me and what has been really good for me is taking the focus off of myself mm. and off of my own work and really starting to think of my, and this is what made the shift for me in 2019, was starting to think of my work as um, something I'm doing to help other people. Yes. That so. whole idea of writing being altruistic, mm -hmm. of putting our writing out there, being a service we're giving for others or doing yeah. for others. Yeah. And I think um, a book I'd recommend people struggling with self-doubt read is Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. I love that. Uh, where she personifies the creative force as the muse that's like bringing you a story. She's even got a weird story in that book about like she rejected a story the muse gave her and then like her best friend actually like called her and was like, I'm going to write this story. And it's the and weirdest. It's like, a you know, it's <laughs> It, no one would believe that they're going to yeah. go to the Amazon and do this exact thing. That it's Elizabeth so crazy. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. But understanding that, like, you know, whatever your spiritual background is, understanding that, like, what you are giving to the world in the story is a gift that you have received outside of yourself. 
and that you are really just the uh, agent of transfer that has been given the privilege of bringing that gift to the people that you uh, that are going to read it. And yeah. so like, yeah, and then understanding that marketing is not a self-obsession because that's part of what like drove me away from it was that like, oh, I don't like myself. So I don't want to talk about myself. Right. Like I don't like who I who, I don't like who I am. I don't like who um, I don't like my own writing. Like I write it and I'm like, oh, it's garbage. Um, like I just don't I don't like what I do. So, but it's coming to understand that like marketing isn't actually about me saying I like this. Marketing is about me taking this gift I was given that I'm intended to give to others and then doing everything I possibly can to get that into the hands of the person that needs it. Of the so, right person, right? Not yeah. of every, not of every person. None of the thing that drives me crazy is when people market their books that this is right for everyone. Of course it's no. not. Yeah, no way. Your no. ideal reader, you, you have to find them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say there's no book that's for everybody. Yeah, like I've read books that like, you know, my wife, who I'm the closest person to, she reads it and she loves it. I read it. And I tell you, I like most books. I read it. And I'm like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> you look at any yeah. book on Amazon, your very favorite book in the whole world and look at the one stars. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. What is your, what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? I love seeing people connect with story. Yeah. That's my biggest joy. I love hearing uh, that something I wrote gave someone an emotional escape from whatever they're dealing with. I love hearing that like something I wrote um, helped somebody process something, right? Like I love hearing that, uh, you know, I it's this, and this is a weird thing that I do not recommend without taking some pretty massive steps, but I write minority characters. Um, because when I started writing, I was like, you know, there's just enough cis white men in the world as as heroes like we just don't need anymore thank so, you it's <laughs> like you know let's let's tell some other stories yeah. it demands a lot of extra work like my um my the series that i just finished has uh two female detectives and the lead detective is an african-american woman mm -hmm. so uh, you know i i know a bunch of african-american women i'm friends with a bunch of african-american women i got a team of 20 of them together and for the first book everything she said for the first twenty-five thousand words they had to approve right like they had to be like yes this is and then just like spending time with them listening to them like okay is this true to who you are and yeah. like coming with a learner's approach before I could create that protagonist. And then even when I got to like the second book where like, okay, now I'm, you know, a hundred thousand words into this protagonist, getting them to read the second book to be like, please, you know, read this again and trying to not reading it to like approve of what I've done, but asking them to read it coming as a learner to be like, mm -hmm. am I getting this right? So like in the book I'm working on right now, uh, which is a little bit of a kind of personal memoir, uh, fictionalized memoir of um, my struggle with kind of my evangelical upbringing. Uh, I have a homosexual couple in the book. And so, you know, going to some of my friends that are part of the community and the LGBTQ community and asking them like, hey, how does how does this feel? Am I doing this right? Like, is this how do I change this to make this more um, authentic and honoring of the community so that these characters represent who they're supposed to represent in the world? So um, for me, being able to do that and having somebody who tends to feel underrepresented suddenly feel represented, that brings me a ton of joy. Like that makes me really, really happy when I write. So I think it's about finding, and that's not, I know that's not for everybody. Like that's a kind of personal calling, but I think finding that kind of thing that like turns your writing into this gift um, for a specific group of people. Well, is, and what I love what you're saying about this too, is that you're not doing it because it's the end thing, because it's, you know, because people are talking about this right now, you're doing it for the right reason with the right motivation and listening to the marginalized communities that you're attempting to represent. Yeah, and you know, it really, this is just a funny story, but it really hit me when um, I was working on my first book and uh, my first fiction book, which is uh, called Mankin and the Monsters. And I was really kind of just like playing with the plot in my head and like 
trying to decide. I, I had never written anything six, six, seven years ago, I guess it was, I'd never written any fiction at all. And so I was just kind of like, how does this work? And kind of like thinking it through. And um, it was right when the Marvel movies were coming out real big. And I remember I'd taken my, my family makes it a point that we live amongst people who aren't like us. Like that's a really important part of the culture we're building as a family. So like my son was in a primarily um, African-American elementary school. And so we were going to the movies and he had like some of his friends with him who were all African-American. And I watched them like obsess over this movie poster pre-Black Panther where like everybody on the Avengers poster is white. Mm -hmm. And they're like debating which Avengers character they're going to be. And I'm like, man, none of those really represent them at all. Like it's, uh, you know, you've got the billionaire Iron Man and then you've got the like, you know, kind of like military, you know, white guy and Hawkeye. And then you've got the like, you know, white woman assassin. And then you've got the white scientist and then you've got the, you know, Norse God. And it's like, all right. So it's great that they can find themselves in these characters still, but this is messed up. Like this is, this is wrong. So that's when I was like, okay, this needs to be a, this needs to be, if I'm going to do this thing, this needs to be part of what I do. I need to and, like. And we do need to point out too that then I've said this on the show many times, but you have to be careful and you have to go into it consciously and. Oh, as a learner. Yeah. And yeah. And you, I trust to do this. Um, well, it's a lot. I don't trust me to do this. And well, that's, that's good. The reason it, yeah, that's part of the reason it works. Keep that up. <laughs> yeah, if you if you trust yourself to do this, stop. Really? <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's a really great point. If you think you'll be great at it, you are not the person. Don't do it. Do it. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> that's amazing. Don't that's do it. You're going to screw it up. Don't do it. Yeah. You're right, gonna... well, let's, let's move forward into the craft tip because this is where I'm really... Yeah, sorry, I'll you. blabber so, all day. No, I and I'm 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 guiding us. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so you are the dialogue master, and you very kindly you kindly reached out to me after I did the um, mini- Oh, that makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently did the mini episode where I was, where somebody asked me like, how do you differentiate di- the voices of characters? And my answer was, I don't. In a first draft, I just don't bother. Which hurt my heart. I was like, oh, no, no. So I would, like you, I would like you to try to convince me to do it a different way because it works for me and I do yeah. differentiate them later. But how do you do this? Talk us through a little bit of your process you got here so, as yeah, the Dialogue so, Doctor. Yeah, so I started the Dialogue Doctor uh, last fall. Um, really, uh, Jay Thorne grabbed me and was like, hey, you know, yeah. we were talking about my writing career, like where is this going? And it, it landed on like, this is a way I can help other people. Like, this is something I can do to give back to the author community. that's like given me so much. So he was so excited about it. He told me on the side. Yeah. He's going to do this. So yeah, you know, he really, he yeah. really believed in it. And so what I'm doing um, before we get into uh, what it is. So what I'm doing is I'm taking what I've been doing for the last six years in the simulation world, where taking um the skills i've learned is this professional mimic who writes simulations and has to create different voices um from all different walks of life and worlds and applying that to fiction um so it's it's um i'm taking these tools we use to build these simulations and adapting them for fiction writers so uh let's talk about the problem first uh, just to define it well, the the what I am affectionately calling your problem is monomouth, which means yes. all of my characters sound the same. All of mine do always. Yeah. First draft, yeah. Yeah, first draft, and it the so the goal is, how can I spend like thirty minutes to an hour max before I start writing a book to set myself up for a stronger first draft so that my characters won't all sound the same. Yes, but please like, tell me more. Yeah, so that when I edit. I'm not just editing. I'm not having to rewrite characters. I'm just tweaking. So the other byproduct of this that is really exciting is that if you can get different sounding voices, it will actually enable your plot. So if you can build characters that sound different and that complement and contrast each other strategically, you can set up the twists and turns in your plot just with their voice. Right. Like we can design character voices that don't just make your first draft smoother. We can design character voices that 
establish the plot you want to create the character it sounds impossible and like it's stressing me out i'm sorry okay so let's <laughs> talk about how you do it step number one is totally understand is understanding what character voice is right because i find that a lot of people don't even get what that is so yeah. i want you to pick a picture of daisy right like the white the white flower with petals mm -hmm. around it and the like yellow center um, and I, I call this the dialogue daisy because I, I feel like the illustration works well. So if we were to go underground and look at the roots of the daisy, we're going to find character. Uh, um, sorry, we're going to find character backstory. Mm -hmm. We're going to find uh, the character's place in culture. Um, we're going to find the character's place in power dynamics. And we're going to find the character's like genetics and like, you know, genetic history. Yeah. Now I find that when I talk to writers about character voice, usually that's what they're thinking character voices. Mm. They're like the character voice is the character's backstory. They're like, look, I've developed character voice. I have an entire file of this character's back. I can tell you what this character was doing where they're two years old. That's not the character voice. That's the right. character backstory. Right. But those are like the roots that build your character voice. That makes sense. So having those things, like dwelling on those things isn't bad, but it's actually not necessary. You don't even need to do that. Um, now I want you to move up from the roots, but that what it does is it creates a good foundation for the character mm -hmm. voice. Um, I would recommend if you're trying to do this fast and dirty, if you're writing a book a month and you have one hour to do this, I would say do that for your protagonist and maybe your main antagonist. And, and not your, when I say main antagonist, I don't mean like if we're talking Lord of the Rings, I don't mean Sauron, the eye in the sky. That's not your main antagonist, right? Like if your protagonist is Frodo, the hobbit that's taking the ring to burn it, your antagonist is Gollum because yeah, that's the antagonist totally. that he's going to spend enough, uh, like the massive amount of time with. That's the antagonist that's going to talk the most. So we're talking about like which antagonist. So I would do it for your protagonist and your antagonist and no other characters. Love it. I'm all about fast and dirty. Yes. Yeah. So fast and dirty, right? Like the more characters you do it for, the 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 kind of richer your palette will be if we think of like our characters as the colors we paint with mm -hmm. the more you do it the more the richer those colors can be but you don't need it right if you're fast and dirty character background you know understanding your character's place and culture for the protagonist and the antagonist and then move on um out of those roots stem the character's personality so when we think about backstory let's say you're writing a character that has trauma right? Like this character has come from an abusive family life. Uh, their personality is the expression of how they've responded to that trauma, mm -hmm. right? So maybe they came out of that trauma as super resilient, right? Maybe they came out of that trauma as super sensitive and compassionate, right? Like, so right now, in when I'm like doing the dishes and like cooking dinner, I'm watching the, I'm watching through the TV show Supernatural. Mm. And it has two brothers, Sam mm. and Dean right sam and dean same character character background right like right. horrible life fathers demon hunter trained them to be demon hunters personalities are radically different right like sam is at least in the early i'm only in season three so i'm sure he changes later in early sam is like very compassionate um you know struggles with the idea of what he does is always looking for the best and others, right? Like, so this is Sam's personality. He likes to connect with people. He does, he wants a normal life. He doesn't want to do this forever. Dean, on the other hand, is like accepting what his father taught him, whereas Sam is rejecting it. Dean is accepting it. And his personality is hard and cynical, and he loves the hunt, and this is what he wants to do. What a great illustration. That's that's awesome. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. So um, from those roots can grow very different stems. So it's just important that we recognize that like, yeah, that character personality, the backs, the question we have about character personality when we're looking at the stem is like, so how did they respond to what's going on in their past? And how did, the, how are they responding to what's happening right now? Right? Like, cause it doesn't have to be past backstory. It can be present story as well. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so, you know, um, I, I love the movie Juno, um, and so Juno as a character um, is uh, responding to this moment of teenage pregnancy um, with an extreme chill, 
right? Like, and embracing it for all it is, right? Like not every stem is going to do that, right? Right. Like that's, that's this beautiful kind of like picture of how uh, Juno's responding to that moment, right? Like, so sometimes the stem is like, so all that to say, character personality is what you do have to do. Right. Like you do have to talk about your character. You do have to think about your character's personality coming from those roots and coming from those roots and and growing up. How much time you spend on the roots is up to you, but you got to grow it up. Then we get to the flower and the flower is the actual character voice. So what I do when I get to my character personality is I will write down my character personality. I actually have a chart. I use the, I use this called the character wheel and you can just, you can go to dialoguedoctor.com and get a copy of it. It's free. Cool. Uh, just go grab it. So it's an Excel sheet and the first column has character backstory. The second column has character personality. The third column has character notes. And then I do three columns, sometimes five. And in the middle of those columns, I have character voice. And what I'm doing with character voice is I'm taking that character personality, which may be full of sentences, right? Like uh, loves to engage with people, um, you know, likes to, uh, is helpful. Uh, enjoys helping others. Shy at parties. Shy at parties, right? Yeah. Like whatever yeah. phrases you want to have. Yeah. You want to find, and this is the hard part. You want to find four to five adjectives that are going to define that character. I'm loving so, this. This is freaking me out. Keep going. Yeah, so like when you're looking at your flower, right? Like that person we just expressed, shy at parties, but loves other people, loves to help. Mm-hmm. Um, we might say like open. Mm-hmm. protective um uh uses nurturing. lots yeah. yeah nurturing right like and then we want to have some sentences that kind of describe the language they're going to use uses lots of words in one-on-one conversations but becomes silent in groups ah. right? um asks a lot of questions doesn't make declaratory statements really really seems to listen more than speak yeah. And you don't want more than like two to three of those per character. Okay. You want like four it would adjectives. Be, it would be confusing. Otherwise. It gets overwhelming, yeah. right? Like this is something you're supposed to glance, put on your wall, glance at and be like, I got it. Right. So, and you can pair different things with it if it's helpful. So a lot of times after I build the voice, I'll, you know, you can find a picture that you want to put with it that matches that voice. The key is build the voice first. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then put the picture to it. What right? kind or, of picture do you use? I want to use flower pictures. I'm I'm a deep lover <laughs> of flowers. I, I want you know I want to be the Japanese anemone. You know and yeah. So <laughs> I've used um I use all kinds of things. For one book, I did colors. Yeah. I was like, this character's blue, this character's pink, this character's orange. Now, I tell you that, and those colors mean nothing to you. The key is they meant something to me. Right. We're all going to take something different away from that. Yeah. I could just look up at my, like, and so what I do is I create my character wheel. I fill out all of my characters that I think are going to talk a lot. For a standard book, you want your protagonist. You want, like, major allies. So if we're thinking Harry Potter, you want Harry's voice. You want Hermione and Ron's voice. Mm -hmm. You want um, Malfoy's voice. Um, in the later books, you want Voldemort, but in the first books, who cares, right? Like, so Dumbledore, we need Dumbledore, you need yeah, Dumbledore, yeah. you need the characters. They're going to talk a lot. Yeah. Right. Like, and so getting those, getting those voices arranged in your chart, um, is, uh, is going to set you off on the right foot. And again, three characters, like, so I'll do this with people. Like they can hit me up on the site, uh, schedule a session and I'll actually help you get your book launched. We'll take an hour. We'll get your first five characters done. Oh my gosh. That's when you said that thing about the plot and how it can actually affect plot and how the book moves, I can actually understand now how that yeah, might work. Get it. Right. Like, so yeah. let's talk about Harry, right? Like, cause everybody knows Harry Potter. Yeah. So let's talk about Harry, Harry's voice, sullen, right? Like, and we're talking first book, sullen, outcast, um, easily frustrated, uh, has something to prove, mm-hmm. right? Lots of declaratory statements, never backs down in a fight, Harry Potter right? Like kid Harry Potter, you put, so the question is like, we want Harry to mature. And the question Harry is faced with as a character is who is he becoming? Is he becoming Dumbledore or is he becoming Voldemort? Yeah. 
right? Like, and we have these two voices that we put next to him. That we can right? look like, at so, those voices. Yeah. Yeah. So Voldemort is the future Harry if Harry goes bad, right? Like the sullen is exaggerated to um, bitter and angry. The feeling of an outcast is exaggerated to like this um, dark revolutionary who's like trying to take things over. Mm -hmm. The never backs down from a fight is exaggerated to starting all of the fights, right? Like, so we're just getting an exaggeration of Harry's voice in that way. In the other way, Dumbledore also, right? Like is an exaggeration of maturity of Harry's voice in the other direction, right? Like Dumbledore also never backs down from a fight, although he's wise about it. Also declarative statements because he's the boss. He's the boss. Right. Right. Like Harry's clearly future boss. The question is like, which direction is Harry bossing? <laughs> so now we have to put people around Harry that are going to challenge him to become Dumbledore and not Voldemort. So what does Harry need? Harry needs a community builder. He needs somebody who loves family. He needs somebody who's like looking for somebody to attach to. So contrasting Harry's like isolationist sullen nature with Ron mm-hmm. who there's not a sullen bone in his body right like everything's fun but so they contrast but they also complement because you need your allies to like line up with each other so Ron and Harry both feel like outcasts they both feel like they have something to prove they both have yeah. this aspect of their voice that they're like not backing down from a fight Ron's the third brother the fourth brother in a large family Right. Like, so he's got Harry's like, I have to prove who my older brother knows who he is. My older twins know who they are. I have to prove who I am. And I'm trying to figure that out. Right. Like, so complimenting and contrasting to push Harry in a specific way. Then you build Hermione. Oh, yeah. Go on with Hermione. Yeah. So then you build Hermione, who has the discipline, the determination, and the grit that Harry needs to adopt in order to become the like appreciation for hard work studious nature right like you can see that like all of this is missing from harry's personality and if you take ron and hermione and smash them together you get what you want harry to become and i can see how if you've got this chart before you and you're thinking about these gaps because i really like a chart i like to see where gaps are lay it out yeah um and i can also see how this would be useful in not only our first draft i'm going to go grab this immediately as soon as we hang up because i'm actually right after this i've got to do some rejiggering of this book I'll just I don't understand. Copy. Okay, <laughs> I, I need it like in the next 15, 10 minutes because i'm gonna yep. get on this next call i'm not even kidding um but i can see how this would be useful in the first draft but also really useful in subsequent drafts too as you get more and more yeah. Um, you learn more about, more about these characters, but I'm assuming also, and something I want to just mention really quickly is we're running out of time is that that voice of the main character will, will it change a little bit by the end? Oh, of the- you're my favorite interviewer because <laughs> you asked the best questions. <laughs> so you're picturing the flower, right? You got the big yeah. yellow part in the middle. We've only been talking about the yellow part Oh, around the yellow part of the petals. So I want you to think about how you as a person, how you change when you talk, when you're afraid you sound different than when you're excited. When you're excited, you sound different than when you're confused. Mm -hmm. Now, you always sound like you, Mm -hmm. but your voice is modulating based on the circumstances. So it's the tone of voice that we're talking about now. Yeah, and what we're actually saying is that like, there's aspects of your voice that are going to be exaggerated in some circumstances and muted in others. So let's go back to that original illustration we had of vulnerable and open and mm-hmm. comforting, right? Like when that person's stressed, at, well, and we had protective in there too. When that person's stressed, the protective side of their voice is going to increase. Mm. They're going to talk less. They're going to guard themselves more. Their questions are going to become uh, more outward focused and less reflective, mm. right? Like, and all we're going to do is we're, it's because we're in the same flower. We're just extending into one of the petals, right? We're just going to push into the protective petal. And then, but when they're in a moment of intimacy, like let's say you're writing a romance and they get to that moment where they're finally revealing their true nature, right? Their vulnerability is going to increase and that protectiveness is going to diminish. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. So we're this just is, moving in. This is so freaking useful. Yeah, that's I the goal. detest 
tips that like, I go, Oh, that sounds good, but I don't know how to use it. This sounds like an incredibly useful thing that I, I want to, I'm not kidding. Please send it to me. So let's take it. Let's take it. <laughs> give me 30 seconds to take it to the next level for you. Yes, please. When you're writing a series. Yes. Like oh, Harry yes. Potter, you write your character wheel for the first book. Right. And then you write your pedals. And what I do is when I start the chart, you'll see if you go to my site and download it, the top chart just says different emotional state. Mm. And then you think through what you're going to do. And you're like, okay, I know they're going to encounter these emotional states. And this is a living document. So like, as you write, if you're, if you've got a new chapter, you're like, oh my gosh, I want to put them in a car chase. Right. Like, and now they're scared out of their mind, but I don't have that on my chart. Great. Put up another column scared out of their minds. How does their voice sound? <laughs> right. Like, so it's a living document. You're, you can constantly expand it and grow it away, but your character is supposed to mature right, through your book. Right. So by the end of your book, you've got all of these things up there. And then what I do is I look at one of the pedals and I'm like, this is their main voice. Now through this book, they've become more protective. Right. It was a sad, tragic book. They were in a lot of fear. The antagonist can go. That's a great, because a lot of people, I, I struggle. A lot of people struggle with like the antagonist can only progress so far. They will never step into their inner essence um, because we don't allow them to, but they can yeah. step into the, the deepest part of this particular pedal that you choose. Yeah. From. And then the kind of like higher level of this, even like the 301 level course, after you think, after you start thinking about like, okay, from book to book, how's my character changing, right? Because yeah. part of what I love about using this tool uh, is it forces me to consider how my character should change through the book. I'm starting at this voice and I'm ending at this voice. And that's how this, like, how that's one of the things I find useful about this character wheel tool is that it, it forces me to consider character change when I start writing. When I'm plotting out the character, I'm thinking, okay, who are they going to be at the end? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and of course, my strategic brain, I'm like, okay, now how do I solve the puzzle to get them from where they are to where they're going to be? Uh, but so, and then it forces you to think like, okay, what, who do I need around them? Right? Yeah, like to help yeah. them become that person. And then for the antagonist, you want who is enough like them, but going in the different direction. Going so on, you the, think like, on the down escalator instead of the they're on the down escalator. Yeah. So you think of like Batman and Joker, right? Like right. really the same person, yeah. right? Like both are weirdos in strange costumes that are causing havoc in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right. Like it's just one of them has decided that he's going to be good about it. And his, the expression of his voice is the opposite of the other, right? Like, so the Joker has gone totally bat crazy and his voice sounds nutty right? Whereas Batman's voice is super reserved and he never says anything. Mm. But what they share in common is that they're really the same personality type and person. The expression of it is just different. And right? we like want them by the end of it. Well, we don't care about the Joker, but we want Batman or whoever our, our main protagonist is by the end. I, I'm just really moved by this whole, well, this the whole reason analogy we, that you use. Yeah. Like, and the in, reason we love yeah. the Joker is because he's constantly telling Batman we're the same. We're the same. Exactly. We're the Which same. Is the worst thing. Just like say. me. Yeah. And he's constantly pushing Batman yeah. to do the things that he does. Yeah. But right? well, like where we want them to end is, is um, I always think about like with my best friends or with my most loved people. Yeah. That's the point at which I don't have to think about my voice at all. My yeah. voice, just my voice. Just and, your voice. And it's the most, yeah. it's the deepest part of myself that I don't have to worry about. And we want to get our characters there. Yeah. And this is about just creating sheets to help you. Yes. Like that's all it is. It's creating sheets to help you get it done so that you don't have to rewrite a whole first draft, right? Like it's taking an hour to like figure out, like to sit and plot, like, okay, I'm going to plan out my character's voices to enable faster writing, to enable faster. Today. Nice. I love it. (laughs) Jeff, we're not even going to get to the other questions and I uh, don't care because you've like literally solved so many problems. And when my students now say, how do you write voice? I'm like, oh, I got a podcast. Oh, this thing. This thing. Yeah, I do this thing. Go to dialogdoctor.com right now. Um, And so we can find you at Dialogue Doctor. Where else can we find you and your books? Oh, my books are um, wide. So I, you know, well, some of them are wide. Some of them are just on Amazon. You can definitely find me on Amazon. Um, uh, I 
don't really have a good author website, so I'm not going to bump it. Like, uh, but you know, you can find me on Dialogue Doctor. There's a podcast. I'm new to it, so I think I'm about to do my 20th episode. I feel What's like a called? baby. Uh, Dialogue Doctor podcast. So oh, perfect. Yeah, just go look up the Dialogue Doctor podcast. Are you and writing I, a book on this? Yes, I'm writing a good. book on this. It'll come out in April. Oh, um, fabulous. Which is great. I'm excited about that. And in the book, so the thing that we haven't talked about is like manipulating the emotional flow of your characters in every scene and in every, and in the story as a whole. Now that you know how to like modulate voices, manipulating the most emotional flow so that you can manipulate how your reader feels through the whole book. So Which that like exactly what we want to do. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about like, how do I want my reader to feel from the beginning to the end? And like manipulating that by, by modulating your character voices to just grab your reader by the heart and like make them feel what the protagonist is feeling. So okay. I need your, book. that's what the book is about. ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> I need Let's go. your book as soon as possible. It's on its way. Do, do ping me when it is available and I'll go ahead and put it in the, you know, in the show notes oh, of, the, of, the, of the show, when, of the week it comes out. Cause I want yeah. people to know about it. Well, oh, hold on one second say, for me. Yeah. All my alarms are going off cause I'm about to start a class. So you have okay. like 30 seconds to wrap up. 30 seconds to wrap up. So if you can't pay for a session with me, listen to the podcast because I just do sessions on the podcast. Oh, So you can get what I do for free. Just go Jeff, listen to the podcast. You're freaking awesome. All right. I'm going to send you that chart. Thanks for having me on. No, you are really, really awesome. And it has been wonderful to spend this time with you. Yeah, it's a huge honor. Like Thank I said, you. you've had a huge no, impact. The honor on is mine. Career. You've just changed like my book writing process. Yes. <laughs> Victory is mine. You're That's what brings guy. me joy. This brings me joy. <laughs> All right. Take care right. of you. Bye, Bye Rachel. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.